Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's great to be back with you. Thank you for joining us again. And I hope you're having a great week. Over this past week, I've been thinking how I've always felt that America is a great place for the Jews. I grew up in a small New England city. We had several hundred kids in my elementary school, and probably fewer than 10 of those were Jewish. No doubt it created moments of discomfort, but I don't recall experiencing anti-Semitism. One summer when I was growing up, we went to a Jewish camp in New Hampshire. I remember one time some local kids biking past us, screaming something about the Jews. But those experiences were few and far between. And I still believe deeply that America is a great place to be Jewish. But we also see a painful reality. Something is happening. Anti-Semitism is becoming more pronounced and frequent. And this is a cause for anxiety. People are talking about whether they ought to wear a yarmulke in public. In a sign of the times, President Biden posted on his Twitter account that recent attacks in the Jewish community are despicable and must stop. Biden was responding in part to a letter from the ADL, the Jewish Federations of North America, and the Orthodox Union to the White House to take steps to rein in recent anti-Semitic attacks. And the group warned of a danger that goes far beyond what's happened over the past couple weeks. In addition to attacks around the country, The ADL found that there's been over 17,000 tweets with a variation of the phrase, Hitler was right. Needless to say, this is a deeply disturbing trend. In today's Torah Journey podcast, we're going to take a deeper look at what underlies the increasing number of attacks on Jews in the United States. What is the deeper meaning of this? And on a personal and spiritual level, how can we respond in our own lives? The amazing thing about Israel is that it's not only a beautiful land, but it's a beautiful people. I had the good fortune of visiting Israel in 2019 and just showing up at the supermarket, you see an incredibly diverse and beautiful people walking in the streets of Jerusalem. You're in this oasis of democracy in a country with its universal rights for people of all races, ethnicities, and religions. But so many people are removed from that reality and their opinion of Israel and the Jews is shaped by what they read. In that line, Abigail Schreier recently commented on Twitter on the disturbing trend of calling Israel an apartheid state. Charging Israel as an apartheid state to cast it in the role of white supremacists, she wrote, encourages the idea that all Jews are fair game for violent attack. Now, of course, this rhetoric about apartheid is false. No system of segregation on the grounds of race exists in Israel. And yet, from this picture, we can see just how powerful and impactful language and speech truly are, especially when talking about something that, for many people, is so distant from their lives. A very big focus of our Sefer Bamidbar, as well as Parshas Baloscha, is this very issue of words, speech, and their impact. And the name for our Sefer Bamidbar means in the wilderness. The term Midbar is related, though, to the word Dibor, speech. And the mem at the beginning of the word literally means from, but it also implies without, coming from, or being outside a certain place. 
And so the term midbar wilderness can be thought of as without speech. The wilderness, that howling desolation, is a place that's devoid of speech. If speech is concrete and meaningful expression we give, well, a wilderness is that desolate place where you lack the ability for meaningful expression. That's why Moshe, when he seeks his successor, asks Hashem that it be a person of Ruach, a person with the ability to speak and lead in a wilderness. And likewise, in Bamidbar, we have a series of crises unfolding due to a void of decent speech. One of the first crises occurs as Miriam and Aaron speak against Moshe, regarding the Kushite woman that Moshe had taken. There's a lengthy discussion about the meaning of this criticism. The verse is not straightforward because Moshe's wife that we know of was Tzipporah, who was a Midianite. But then Miriam goes on to complain that Moshe is not the only prophet. Does Hashem not also speak with us as prophets as well? Miriam asked. And Rashi understands Miriam's complaint as related to Tzipporah, who's referred to as Kushite, perhaps for her beauty. And Miriam's complaint was that Moshe was separated from his wife. After all, Miriam pointed out, all of us other prophets, we prophesize and yet we remain married. And according to Rashi, Miriam had a point. Moshe's separation from his wife was not to be an example for the Jewish people. Only due to Moshe's unique status in history as the receiver of Torah did Moshe take this step of separating from his wife. And in response to casting Moshe in this light, Hashem appears suddenly to Miriam and Aaron. And the sudden appearance for which they were not prepared, underscores the uniqueness of Moshe's prophecy. Hashem explains that the prophecy of Moshe is unique. The average prophet is married, but Moshe, who's constantly subject to prophecy, cannot be engaged in marital relations. He's on call 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Torah says, Lo chen Moshe avdi b'chol Not so, Moshe, my servant. In my entire house, he's believed. Mouth to mouth do I speak to him in a vision and not in riddles. And he gazes upon the vision of Hashem. Why have you not feared to speak against Moshe, my servant? And the essence of this revelation is that Moshe was totally unique as a prophet. And consequently, equating his practices and those of other prophets is not a legitimate critique of this father of all prophets. At the heart of Rashi's explanation of these verses, Miriam is casting Moshe as simply another prophet. And the problem is he wasn't that at all. To equate Moshe with other prophets, suggesting his behavior should be the same, really misses the point of who Moshe was. And we can think about this as projecting. Miriam had a certain experience of what it meant for her to receive the word of God. She saw Moshe in the same light as herself, thinking they're equal, and they're not. And it's very natural for people to look out at the world and see a mirror of themselves or a mirror of other ideas that they already know about and are familiar with. And actually, that gets to a very huge challenge in how people think about and speak about Israel there is a very big tendency for people to 
pack Israel into their own experience. For example, in recent days, a number of American politicians have said things like, Palestinian lives matter, and from Ferguson to Palestine will seek racial justice. And this framing is a very big mistake because it packages Middle East challenges into the racial issues and debates of America. Israel is a completely unique region, and Westerners really need to strive to understand Israel on its own terms. One of the great things about living here in Portland over the years has been the experience of having Intel families come for six months, a, a year, two years. And when you talk with real Israeli families about the real struggles of how to protect Israel from entrenched terror groups and what it means to send your children into the army, it, it really is heart-wrenching. Two weeks ago, there was a 19-year-old Israeli who was murdered by a terrorist. And looking at that young face on the internet, I see, I see our own children. The, the real Israelis are so far from what's portrayed in the press. And there's a common way of thinking today where moral struggles are framed around a victim and aggressor status. And generally those who are weaker are the victims and those who are stronger are the offenders or aggressors. A, a video from the Wall Street journal, journal the other day depicted how much stronger the IDF is than Hamas. And with that frame of reference, Israel's cast as the offender and Gazans as the victims. But the real picture of Israel as a tiny nation of refugees cast in a sea of opposition with entrenched terror all around is entirely lost. There are many reasons that people speak and people might try to excite their constituents or sell articles, but false or even imprecise language are a profound danger. And that's what we're seeing today. In fact, the Torah exhorts us, Zachor Hashem Miriam. Remember what Hashem, your God, did to Miriam. Miriam was a great tzedekas, and her sin was subtle. She was actually well-intentioned in her speech against Moshe. And yet her story still forms our national memory of how cautious we must be with our words. And this is the lesson that we take from Miriam. Speech and words matter. Hashem demands that our speech meet objective moral standards. If our society had these moral constraints, people would be much slower to form opinions about people that are so distant from them. The Parsha addresses the topic of slander. Is there something deeper that underlies this trend of Lashon Hara? Remember, Miriam was a righteous person. She loved her brother Moshe. Her speech was a mistake. Commenting on this, the Rambam, at the end of Hilkos Tumas Tsaras, writes that we need to take care to avoid sitting with scoffers and scorners who tend to chatter excessively. The Rambam paints a picture of what happens. Those who are distant to the ways the Torah says gather and they chatter, and through this they come to speak disparagingly about Sadiqim, and from that point they progress and speak negatively about the prophets, casting aspersions in their words. Umitoch kach. From this, the Rambam writes, they come to speak against Hashem and deny the existence of God. And so while it's true that Miriam's sin was subtle, Lashon Hara, slander, is a root of a much more serious problem. People don't generally feel the need to speak against those who are just marginal. 
our tendency is to speak against people who are of significance. And that's why the Rambam warns us. Inherent within the tendency to speak against the righteous, we have a deeper problem. Nothing short of denial of God. And so at the root of immoral speech is nothing less than denial of Misha Amar Olam, the one who spoke and formed the world. And that leads us to a critical issue. What really underlies opposition to Israel? At the heart of it, the Jewish people represent Hashem in this world. We're a holy people with a unique gift. Every nation has national resources and contributions. The Jewish people represent the word of God. As the Navi states, Ki mitzion Torah, Devar Hashem Yerushalayim. The Torah will go out from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem. And given that contribution, the Jewish people are in a precarious position. Those who seek to represent the word of Hashem will always be vulnerable. And more, at the root of speech against the Jewish people is really a denial of that essence of who we are as the people of God. The IDF is the most moral army in the world, albeit entwined in the most fraught of circumstances. It's the sad truth, but the Israeli army doesn't get to operate in North America. It's the Middle East. And that's really tough. But make no mistake about it. We are a holy people. And speaking Lashon Hara slander against any Jew or any group of Jews is a denial of that holiness. But if disparaging words point to a denial of God and Hashem's presence within us, then we've already pointed to at least one step that we can take in our own response to anti-Semitism. When the world speaks ill or acts ill towards Jews, we must embrace ourselves on an even deeper level. The Targum Unklis teaches us that a human being is a Ruach Mamalala, a talking spirit. There's nothing more basic to who we are as human beings than our words. Be it the words of Torah, the words of Tefillah, or words of Chesed, kindness, we have an opportunity to lift up the world with our words. And when we really think about it, words do matter. Just yesterday, I received an email from a teacher of my high school age daughter, praising my daughter for, amongst other things, her beautiful comments in class. And the teacher didn't know it, but just by writing that email, she lifted up my whole morning, made me reflect on how much we have it within us to lift up our world. And in fact, that is the message of the 122nd Psalm. The psalmist writes, for the sake of my brothers and comrades, I will speak shalom of you. For the sake of the house of Hashem, our God, I will seek your goodness. Right now, our people are at a critical point. The challenges we see happening in our country are real. And the opportunity is that whatever we can or cannot do on a global level, we can all act at a local level. We can take action to lift up ourselves and other Jews around us. And so the next time that you feel distressed about something happening to us, reflect on the goodness of the Jewish people around you. When you consider that goodness, take the time to lift up those people. We can lift up the world with words of Torah, words of kindness, words of tefillah, and with words of shalom. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast. (music) 